welcome back to another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. I'm your host, our co-host here today, local extension educator for Stearns, Benton, and Morrissey Counties, Nathan Drutz. And with me is the man on audio. It's like a rock band out here, Mr. Mike Cruz, your local educator out Houston, Fillmore Counties. How are you doing today, Mike? Fantastic. It was a bit of a drive, but it's a beautiful day, and we had some rain down south, actually. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. You think you could share that a little bit? I, I will try. I'll okay. try to bring it with me okay. next time. Okay, all right. Well, I, I, th- say, I think if you leave here this afternoon, I think you're going to probably try to take it back with you. But I think we could we could use about all all it is what we could take here. But well, today we're back out here at Joe Bogarting's, and so for those of you who have not watched or listened to the past couple of episodes, we've already done a couple on on his farm here, where we got a chance to learn all about soil health and some of the challenges that he has had in you know in terms of working on trying to drive the. Bio, biology of his soil is to help out his crops and and help really deal you utilize that to deal with some of the pest issues that are of course very important to us here in central Minnesota and so about three or four weeks ago I started getting pictures from him about some of the cool things that of course he was talking about on those previous podcasts looking at planting soybeans into cereal rye and I took one look at those pictures and thought to myself, ah, we've got to get back out there. We just have to get back out there and do another recording because it is just really cool. And so with us here today is Joe Bogarting. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day out here in western Stearns County. So, so Joe, we're we're standing out in the middle of a field today. So, for the for the people who are just happen to be listening to us, we're actually standing in a a rather unique strip tilled soybean field. Can you uh, can you kind of describe for people where it is that we're standing? Um, yeah, this is uh, an experiment that I've been building on for five or six years. Uh, being an organic farmer. You're, we typically are accused of over-tilling our soil, and I agree. And so I've been finding ways to reduce my tillage. And uh, so I started experimenting with strip-till, and we've had some success, and we've had some disasters, of course. But um, so I've started putting all these different things together, ideas I, I hear about, read about. And and so what we've come to the conclusion of this is how we want to try to do it going forward. We, okay, started last fall, we took off corn silage. We have a dairy operation. Took off the corn silage, we no-tilled rye right into the stubble. And then after that, we uh, strip-tilled and made, made strips in the rye and 30-inch uh, rows. And then we uh, let it go till spring. And then the spring, the rye takes off as soon as the snow melts. We got some nice cover going out here. And, uh, and then we, uh, we, we freshened up the strips about a week before, about three days before we planted soybeans. And so we, we freshened up the strips to clear them. And, uh, and then we uh, planted the beans and then we just stayed out. So then we came back about 10 days ago and we stock chopped the rye off the top so that the soybeans could get a little more sunlight. But we, we kind of liked the shade at that time too. So we had some shade for the beans. When it was really, really hot here, we had this hot spell, high 90s. And then, uh, so now we knocked that, that rye down with a stock chopper going over the top of the beans, created a nice mat of straw on the ground to keep the soil cool now. First, the strips helped us to warm the soil early in the spring. When we made those, the planting time, we wanted warm soil. Mm-hmm. And now we've got this straw and rye shade that is keeping our soil cooler. And, uh, and Nathan here has done some digging with a shovel, and he's finding moisture. And we've been extremely dry. But we've retained some moisture by holding the soil temperatures down with all this shade and straw. So that's kind of a 
interesting part of what we're doing here. Yeah, and for the for the listeners maybe who aren't from Central Minnesota, um, uh, just kind of. Uh, just to give you a heads up, we are probably heading into one of our historically dry years if we keep going on this path. Um, so when we say that it's really dry and that it's pretty surprising to find moisture, that's that's pretty significant at this point because many fields uh, on the drive up here, they were starting to curl up, starting to burn up a little bit. And so uh, we're not too far away from some really bad situations if we don't get moisture. So the fact that this approach is holding moisture is, is, is really critical. It's, it's it's a really big piece of this. Yep. A lot of the no-till organic rye soybean experiments, they're using a broad acre uh, broadcast rye and uh, they're getting a lot more growth, which I think is gonna help, is gonna keep the soil cooler in the spring. And then it's also gonna draw a lot more moisture. I like the fact that we've limited the amount of rye, mm -hmm. but yet we got some of the allopathic effect of the rye and some of the shading without drawing too much moisture but that's one of the reasons we clipped it about 10 days ago was to try to conserve moisture yeah. and and then but now instead of a growing rye crop we've got a straw mat to help try to conserve the moisture and there has been regrowth because we chopped it off before the uh, in thesis period so some of it did regrow but it's not real heavy so we'll be cutting it again with uh, what I call my weed whacker but it's it's a roll mow unit that that we built years ago and now we brought it out of the mothballs and we're we're trying it out here and it seems like it's going to be the answer for this project so we're going to upgrade that system going forward because this looks like it could really work so something that actually i'd like to go back to just a little bit you know kind of working off of you i know that with in conversations with different growers and agronomists they're associating this with the the drought of well, it was either 87 or 88 and anytime someone has to go back that far to talk about a drought usually that tells you something you know that we're, we're on a we're heading on a historic trend there and so i just that that's kind of the conversations the way things have gone and and i guess you know that that's uh, not something i want to deal with but going back to your comment about temperatures and i know that you actually went out and took some temperatures on in soils under your covered you know in your covered areas versus your non-covered areas or some of the other non-covered areas and you actually gave me numbers for that and I don't want to misquote you here, but yeah. So do you, do you remember what that, those were? I, I know you gave them to me uh, about a couple of weeks ago. So well, that was actually a friend of mine down okay. by Redwood Falls, and yeah. he's, a, he's more of a no-tiller, and he does a lot of he's, he's doing some of the things that I'm doing. Yeah. And he'll use his chemical to take down his rye. You know? Yeah. He's doing the rye, but then he takes it down with chemical. We're organic, but was, the concept is still the same. He was looking at his uh, soil temperatures. I don't remember them all, but in a road ditch, it was like. Uh, you know, like 112 degrees in his no-till fields was probably like 110 degrees. And then he went into a plowed soybean field with black soil, mm -hmm. and that was 118 degrees. And that was tremendous. I think, you know, so, yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah, yeah, but the difference, that the black soil really heats up, well, which is going to shut down your biology. Yeah, and then that's, I think that's the key part there, I think, that you just mentioned there. And in, uh, in terms of also soil co or water conservation right now, which is what, you know, what, what we're doing, what we're seeing right now, you know, that added temperature degree there, all you're going to do is you're going to end up with more moisture coming out of your soils into the atmosphere versus, yep. you know, under that, that mulch where, I mean, again, we, we just dug here under underneath your mulch and, and you still have moisture going down. You don't have to go more than a half inch down and you've got decent moisture and that's a good sign comparative to, to some yeah. of our, our conventionally plowed, chisel plowed fields. Yeah, and we've got alfalfa that's not coming back because it's so dry because we've already yeah. used it. Right. The beans yeah. haven't used a lot of water yet. No. And apparently this 
basically a half rate of rye didn't suck up too much. And as long as we keep the rye away from the bean row, you know, by separating it with the strip tilling, I think we've got some, we've got some separation from where the rye took the water to the beans have their own little row. It's a, it's a two strip program. You got your rye strip and you got your bean. Yep. So it, it's, you know, they're, they're in tandem, but they're separate. So, so you just said you used a, only a half rate of rye or? Half... No, I mean, because we take out half the rye. Because with the you take teller. out half of yeah. it. Yep. That's got, I mean. it. got it. Got yep. it. Um, Nathan, I had a question for you um, because Joe kind of touched on it. There's, there's two sides of this. Yes. Right now we're, we're conserving moisture and there's moisture in the ground, but at the same time, that strip till, we're talking about soil temperatures and how important that is for germination. Can you just talk maybe briefly about how important, you know, a couple of temperatures, we just called, you know, talked about a couple of degrees here and how that affects us at this time. But how about when we're actually planting, you know, and, and the difference that a couple of degrees can make when you have a little bit of a warmer strip to plant into? Well, I mean, that's, that's the primary reason why guys still till, right? Right. That's, right. that's the, at least that's the reason that we're always given is that, you know, when you're dealing with no tillage situations, your, your soil temperatures in that planting seed bed are always just a few degrees cooler than they are in your chisel plow. And, yep. and so guys like to get out there and they, they feel like they have to get that warmed up and that sort of thing. And the strip till allows us to get the best of both worlds in that situation. You know, in, in terms of what the actual difference there and how much that influences is going to depend year to year and, and the conditions, you know, that we're having. I think in a year like this year, you know, the, the beans clearly are up here and and they're doing all right but you know having that a little bit warmer then also followed by the fact that you know between those strips you still have that coverage you still have the moisture you still have the cooler temperatures i think is really helping out and so in a year like this year i think you're going to see that difference probably play a little bit of a bigger role than maybe in years where we have the proper growing conditions but you know when when you're dealing with farming it's all about risk management yep and in this case here if you're strip tilling i think that's a pretty good you know clearly clearly we're dealing with with a pretty good uh, set of risk management going on here or or pretty good uh, management of risk in that the beans here are just a stage behind and you know some of the other beans that were planted early may and you said this was planted late may May right may 23rd so i mean you know the difference between v4 and v5 what what does that actually matter at the end of the day i'm not sure but it definitely you know to me it's the difference there is is most likely going to be very minute yeah and so i think you know you're i think there's uh, definitely some benefits there so so we, we're talking about all these benefits um but not everybody does strip till um no. and so i'm i'm sitting here kind of curious like joe what are some of the things that you ran into that you maybe struggled with something that didn't work as well and things that you're you know reasons that maybe people aren't doing this type of thing one of the just i want to follow up to besides retaining moisture is i'm excited now being i've seen how this mulch lays out is if we do get any rain there's not much going to leave this field it's going to stay it's going to soak in because we've got this mulch and we're not going to have half it evaporate the next day because it'll be underneath the straw right so that that is exciting to me yep I believe in agriculture, we have just started scratching the surface of what we can do, but we got to change. We can't just keep doing what we've been doing. We've got to try things that are new. And uh, it's not always pretty, but it's. Um, I really like the direction this is going. And uh, uh, minimizing tillage, um, minimizing rock picking, because we didn't turn them up. We just talked about rock picking. We were doing that yesterday. Um, no, I, this is, this is going to build soil. You know, build organic matter, yep. you know, sequester carbon without putting it all back with tillage. And uh, we've also, besides this, uh, what we're doing here is all controlled traffic, which also helps the percolation, helps the aer- aeration, and helps the um, 
you know, the breathing, the, just, uh, the, the soil has to work like a lung too. It has to breathe in and breathe out. And, and this is going to allow for that. Yeah. But, so just to kind of fill people in again, that don't know who is exactly uh, listening to our podcast, we want to make sure everybody understands what controlled traffic is. Oh, yeah. So while we're, while we're in the field with a piece of equipment, anytime that we run a tire over top of, of our soil, we're, we're causing compaction. We're closing pores at the top of that soil. Now, obviously you have to drive equipment through your field. Uh, if you're going to get work done. Um, but if we can control where the path of those tires go, so one piece of equipment runs over the same spot that another piece of equipment does, all of a sudden we're reducing the amount of compaction where we're having and we actually have, like Joe was mentioning, better water infiltration, better breathing in the soil, um, and just healthier soils in general. So um, that's that's the idea behind controlled traffic. Yeah. So, Well, I, w- I was kind of curious what, you, um, what things you have tried and maybe the things that haven't worked as well. Uh, maybe not as well as this weed whipper that you had mentioned before. Okay, well, another item that we've got in our in our sites, we've got an old stock chopper mm-hmm. that we are going to take out rows of knives. So when the beans are taller, we literally could come in and still go back in and take out the rye. Right. And that's something we can fix that up easy enough, just remove some knives in the right places. So that's another tool that we're going to, we're working on. We like to uh, experiment with different tools and and modify things a little bit to work for specific situations. We've done the cultivating. We've tried all the different types of cultivators, um, which is all great. One year we did a beautiful job of cultivation, but we left kind of a ridge mm-hmm. after the second or third pass, and then it rained hard. And and I was very surprised, but we had water little gullies running down to the end of the field. Right. I saw some soil piled up between the rows, and yep. I, I said, that's it. We're, we, we can't be making grooves up and down our, our, our slopes. Right. So that's part of the reason we're doing this here is is to minimize that type of, you know, if, if we have to cultivate, you're going to leave some kind of a mark, and it's going to create a, a channel if you have any kind of a hillside. And I don't want channels, and I don't want that water even to leave my farm. I, some, my last uh, podcast, we talked about how we were being too wet. Yeah. But during the season, when you need water, you need it. You don't want to lose any, yep. you know, during the season, you know. <clears throat> so this... To me, is a water retention plan, mm-hmm. and uh, it'll catch and it'll catch and hold any water that we do get. Yep. So that's what I'm excited about here. And in the fall, um, we can strip till right back into corn for next year, and right. it'll be. And I can do one pass. Uh, I can do 15 acres an hour with a 160 horse tractor, and I'm ready for planting next year. You're ready for planting already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I got a bit of a question there. You mentioned it's a soil retention plan. And I guess during, especially during those flooding years, I know my predecessor used to say up in this area, we have, it's about one out of every about three years we have major water issues. And so in this type of system, and I know you've been doing this for a while now, have you, have you seen any issues in terms of water? You know, when you have too much water, you know, do you have issues with flooding? Do you have issues with drowned out crops? Or is this actually also, you know, is it more of a ma- soil, or water management versus water retention? Well, you can hold a lot of water in the top three feet if you have the proper soil structure and you're not compacted. And so if you're just farming the top six inches and you get three inches of rain, you really do have too much water. Right. If you can get the structure and the, the veins in the soil and all the capillaries and the root holes and the worm holes, get them down to three feet, now you've got a much bigger bank that you can take and hold that water and it doesn't have to run down the hill. It can just soak right in. Right. And that's been one of our major goals is to get the water to stay where it lands 
That's how I eliminated my low wet spots. Mm-hmm. We, we came to the conclusion that they were wet because the water didn't stay on the high ground. And where does the water need to be more than any place is on the high ground. Right. So that's the beauty and the importance of building this soil structure so that the water will soak in immediately where it lands. Gotcha. Otherwise, you got dry ground and you got over wet ground and none of it's really right. Right. So by by fixing that soil profile to where it can take in up to the, up to three feet, and you can carry water over from year to year. We saw that back in in '88. We mm-hmm. had uh, we had 100 bushel corn next to zero bushel corn, where we had alfalfa breaking. We 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 zeroed out, where we had a set aside program where we had oats clipped. Yep. Right next to it, we had 100 bushel corn, on 12 acres, half of a field had 100 bushel corn, the other half was virtually nothing. Gotcha. That's how much water you can hold if you have, the, 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 on our heavy soil clay, we've got a heavy clay base, so our clay can hold water. Now, yeah. this won't be true if you're on sand. If you're on yeah. sand. But yeah. on our clay, that's a bank, it's a water bank. Yeah. And what we get late rain in the fall, I say that's for next year. That's for next year, but you gotta take it in. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're building a structure that'll take in that water. Gotcha. So that if, if we do get some rain in November, that's for next March. Yep. That's for not March. That's for next May, June, that's July. Next May, June, July. But you got to hold it. You have to have the structure to take it in. If you don't build a sponge, you know, and you just got a sheet of topsoil, you know, you can only hold a couple inches. Yep. 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 And so, uh, before we started out the podcast, we were walking around and kind of taking a look at this, and you were telling me about a couple pieces of equipment that you were using for it. Uh, we we touched on the on the weed whipper a little bit, and we can jump into that a little bit more. And you also touched on a drill and how you could kind of kind of make some adjustments to that drill that might help you. So I'm kind of curious what you're thinking, you know, moving forward after this year. What are the improvements that you're thinking about, whether it's equipment, whether it's planting time, whatever it might be, that you think will make this. An even better system than what you've got well <clears throat> what i pointed out is where we've got the drill positioned properly with the strip tilled area and the beans planted properly in the middle of the strip tilled area we've got really good at weed control mm. and really nice beans and a fair amount of cover yep now if you move the drill over three inches when i strip till i'll take out two rows of rye which is going to give me a 21 inch gap so that leaves me, you know, so that placement of the drilling is now part of my, what we're seeing today yep. is it's going to be more important that we, we run the drill in the right, the right track. Yep. If we track the drill properly, and then I could even save some seed. I could block, if I had the row spacing properly, I could block the rows that are going to get strip tilled and I could actually save that seed because we're going to strip till it out a few weeks after we plant it anyway. After you plant it. So there's some things there that we can definitely do a little better, but we can see here that where my drill was properly placed along the strip till and everything is in the right position, uh, and this is just accuracy of placement. Yep. Uh, if we can tighten that up, yep. we can we can get really much better results. What we're seeing is some good things, and then where we got off with the drill, mm-hmm. now we got pretty big gaps. And uh, I'm seeing a tremendous... Uh, allopathic effect because we aren't killing the rye we're keeping it alive so it's actively it's helping with the weeds and right. i don't know all the science but it does it does resist weeds yeah gotcha and it's, it's really working so uh for again let's let's circle back on this whole weed whipper idea uh joe can you kind of give a description of the of what this weed whipper looks like and how you built it and uh yeah just kind of describe that piece of equipment well, I've been known to have crazy ideas, and crazy ideas can cost a lot of money. But if you're gonna if you're gonna run with your ideas, you got to do it cheap. 
So we found an old six-row cultivator, and we found some. We bought some shafts and bearings and and belts and, uh, and a hydraulic motor, and we 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 put one together, basically to try out the concept, mm -hmm. knowing it's not a real durable machine. It's not a long-term solution, but we wanted to try out the concept of mowing mowing grass between rows of beans. Right. And because uh, I like the concept, this is six years ago. We built this in the winter in a shop. And the idea was to mulch the ground, you know, just cover the, you know, instead of burying the weeds, use them for mulch. Right. And now with rye, instead of burying the rye with a cultivator or killing it with a chemical, we can use that for mulch. You know, a lot of gardening now, they do mulching between the rows. Sure. We, we raise garlic and stuff. We just throw all the leaves over the top. We stick them underneath. Don't ever have to pull weeds. It's, they yep. grow right up, potatoes. So why don't we use some of that mulch concepts out here on a larger scale? But to make the mulch, you have to have some kind of a weed whacker to chop up some of your your vegetation. And you get that vegetation laying on the ground, now you've got a nice cool mulch that retains moisture and resists weeds. Um, the thing is, you know, there's a long time between when you cut it until those beans finally get up in canopy. Mm -hmm. So obviously you better have a very specific design goals in mind. So when we did this the first time, we didn't spend any money. We we did it as cheap as we could. Sure. We get tried out the concept. Yep. Now looking at what we're seeing is we are going to go all out and we are going to build and and put together a true row based mower. And we're going to mow down between the rows and we're going to put some hoods on it to control where the mulch ends up so we don't we don't want to bury the beans. Yep. And yet um and it'll help chop it up a little better because it'll have a little more control under the hood yeah so that's our goal is to uh we're going to do a 12 row uh row mow we're calling it and it'll be a offshoot of what we started with but it'll be a totally different machine right right and so we're we're really heavily based between controlled traffic and then the strip till situation and now this weed whipper rtk is a big deal uh, having yes. guidance is a big deal so yep. Yep. so nathan uh yeah anything else you're well, and, thinking and about? i guess you know because we were we were out to around your farm here this morning already and we got a chance to look at all a lot of this equipment i guess and and you talked to this you know, joe uh, a little bit but uh the incredible what's the word i'm looking for innovation in terms of how you build your machines how you set your machines up so that way you can wind up exactly where you want to be in the field you know between the you know the drill or your your planter you know you have your wheel on there you have your little plows you know little shanks i mean nothing much but just enough to mark things and 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 create grooves so that way when you're running your rotary hoe or your uh special designed uh tandem uh uh uh, well, that'd be roughly the same thing. You know, you know, just some of that equipment, and maybe you could talk to this a little bit, you know, because it seems to me like you've come up with some incredibly simple approaches to things that we use technology for today, you know, and, and how that works and, and how that might be adapted, actually, you know, if, if you have some growers who are looking to start into this versus having to go out and buy, you know, in your case, you're, you're starting, you know, you started with something incredibly cheap in terms of, uh, of a whipper, and now you're going to go out and actually, now, now that you know the concept works, you're going to go further. Can you talk about that process in your head and also kind of what you've done so far to make that work? Over the years, I've been told in, uh, more than once that I have uh, very little respect for the status quo. <laughs> so just because it's been done and everybody's doing it, that doesn't seem to mean much to me. So 
when I find out the average farmer is not making any money, the average farmer has always got things to complain about, I decided I don't want to be average. I want to try something that I don't want to do what everybody's doing if the results are just going to be average. So that's kind of sets me free to try things because I'm not bound by tradition. But saying that, I have a lot of respect for the the elders and the, and some of the old ways and uh, you know that's where it comes back to mulching and legumes and soil building and yep. you know like they did before there was a chemical revolution we had a, we had to respect the soil yep. and we didn't just treat it like a holding uh, formation so that frees me up to try things because I don't I don't uh, I don't want to be like everybody else you know in looking for ideas I look at everything specifically you know as part of a complex process but each step has to be looked at specifically just like the placement here the timing the tool the seed like we use an early germinate i mean we use a, a early soybean yeah so we're not worried about the, the season you know yeah. we, we start with an early season i could plant in june if i want you know I, right. I leave my options open right you know and uh, i might give up a couple bushels but if i get an early harvest I get an early start on my next cover crop. There you go. So, I mean, I didn't give up everything just because I went to an earlier variety. Um, I had a neighbor once told me that the guy who tries to get the last drop out of the jug, he gets the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I don't push for the last bushel or the last pound of milk. Right. You know, because sometimes that comes at an extra cost. Yep. And it's not worth it. So take the easy bushels, take the easy. I said, I don't know what my yield is going to be, but there's going to be beans. When you go to Las Vegas, your odds are you can make a little here and there. Yeah. If you're a farmer and you can stick one soybean in the ground, you know, one bushel an acre, and you can get back 40, how can you not make money? But if you want 50 and you start applying a lot of goodies to get to 50, you might not have any money left. If you took the 40 you probably would have been okay. So that's kind of my, going back to my frugal background, is if you can get an easy 40, take it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want 50, but I want to get it without buying it. Right. I want to earn it by the practices and the, and, the, and the strategies. I can earn that 10 bushels. I just don't want to buy those 10 bushels. Now, understanding there's people out there with 60 and 70. Yep. And that's up to them. Yep. But I'm not investing in that technology i want to just develop practices and strategies that we can generate a pretty decent yield while building soil and protecting the bank account right right and i i really appreciate the whole idea behind having a shorter season crop whether it's corn beans whatever it might be right um because we've talked about this in the last couple of podcasts is you know, a lot of this, there's there's no guarantees. There's no silver bullets, right? There's nothing I can say, yep, do this, and 100% you're going to get your 60 or you're going to get your 70, right? Yeah. But when we can mitigate our risk, when we can improve our chances of being successful, well, we're stacking the deck in our favor, right? And yeah. that's, that's the whole idea here. And that's yeah. when we're going like this, yeah, maybe not every year is going to be as dry as this year. 
but it's going to happen again, right? And if we have a crop like this, or if we have cover like this, residue cover like this, well, then we've got a little bit of insurance thing that's stacking the deck in our favor. Yep. So I, I, I really appreciate that type of approach. Nathan, do you have anything else that you see out here that you'd like to chat about or any other questions? Well, you know, I think we should, I, again, and we keep going back to this, uh, the weed the weed whacker, but also go back to your weed management philosophy here. You know, that that's one of the things, you know, and, and so out in the front for for listeners who don't know out in the front here we have you know one of your first attempts which was to try to cultivate you know in in some of that in your headlands here and of course so you have some different management going on out here which is just it's impressive to see the differences between you know where you where you literally just left the the mulch lay versus where you actually opened the ground up and and you turned it over and you know one of the things there is just the difference in weed height at the moment you know, and, and you did this, you know, there, there's some differences in, in timing there, but for the most part, you know, where you have your mulch laying here, even where you just did your, um, stock chopping, you know, the weed, the weed differences in, in terms of height, in terms of density, nine day differences, you have sections on your headlands and, and even places in, in here, uh, next to us here, where you, where you plowed, where you've got some very dense, you know, thick, dense weeds, which tells me, uh, one, two things. First of all, that you do have a seed bank out here that you have to manage, and that is that puts you in the same range as any conventional any any farm that we deal with. Yep. You know, whether yep. it's or whether it's organic or conventional or anything in between there. But also that clearly something you're doing here is working. And you mentioned the allelopathic chemicals, and just uh, you know, I know you've done some worked with Rye before. How have you seen that? change and, and, and going back to you you've got some triticale out uh north or south or yeah north of your west, place yeah. here or west here of your place and you know we were out there and and how clean that looked how do you get rid of your weeds how do you manage those weed and those weed populations and how you keep your rotations going to always give you the advantage and now we're standing out here in the you know in your your uh weed whipped chopped rye and and weeds and how does this, how is this going to influence your weed management program moving forward? Well, rotation is, is clearly number one. Yeah. And, uh, but soil health is, is longer term really number one. But soil health is longer term. So primarily you start with rotation. Eventually that will get you to the soil health. And that will give you better soil tilth, better drainage, better aeration, uh, better um, nutrient mobility, more fungus, more bacteria. Yep. Um, I'm understanding that a lot of the organic matter that's in our soil is from the biological part of the soil that we never right. see. And we've never measured that as part of this. We keep thinking we've got to bury corn stalks to build organic matter. You just got to feed bacteria and you can build as much yep. and maybe a better quality organic matter. So that's my goal is to keep building towards the better soil and a lot of these other weed problems and pests uh, will start to go away. Um, I know when you get a well-balanced uh, corn crop that has, I've seen it, where you have less nitrogen, you know, a balanced amount of nitrogen and you don't have excessive, uh, corn borers will not touch that field. Gotcha. They will not cross the fence because the, the sugar content in the sap gets too high. Corn borers cannot digest sugar. It'll, it'll, it ferments, it turns into alcohol. I mean, these are simple things that I found in the books that explain potentially why corn borer doesn't go into 
healthy corn. If you want 250 bushel corn, you might over apply nitrogen and then you will have to fight off the corn borers because you've got a high sap, I mean, yep. you have a, high, a low sugar sap. Low sugar sap. So all those details, whatever details you can fix, gets you in that direction of solving the problems yeah. without being specific about any one of them. You know, you're, you're, you're generally fixing things you know, by improving the soil health. And, and the soil health comes from less tillage and more organic matter and, um, and management practices. No, I think this is great. And I think that's what we've uh, probably got time for today. So uh, thank you very much, Joe. And I'll, I'll let Nathan take us out. Yeah, so thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Field Guide Podcast. If you'd like more information, as always, you can contact your local extension offices and I guarantee that they're more than happy to put you into contact with either myself or Mike here depending upon where you're at or any one of our local extension colleagues across the state. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next time. Thank you.